the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone and give me a call. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. One thing that I get asked on often is love, marriage, and debt. We'll see if we can hit those in somehow, some way, shape, and form in this segment. What happens to your debt when you die? The average American right now is dying with $62,000 of debt. Whoops, thought I had another month to send in a check. You're probably going to die with some debt to your name, and that's okay. Uh, one of the very first girlfriends that I ever had that was awesome, her dad pulled me aside and he's like, let me tell you a secret. I'm going to die with debt, and I'm okay with it. 73% of consumers have outstanding debt when they're reported as dead. Now keep in mind, I recommend you don't report anyone as dead, that you just bury them in the backyard and keep giving their social security checks. But that's me, and that's probably not you. Consumers carried an average total balance of $61,554. Without home loans, the average balance is about 12875 So a lot of it is home loans, right? Does that sound about right? $12,000 of credit card debt and other debt, car debt? Doesn't sound crazy to me. So the average unpaid balance, credit card's about 4500 Auto loans about seventeen thousand. It's interesting, right? Personal loans about fourteen thousand. Student loans about twenty-five thousand. That's one that kicks me in the butt. How are people dying of student loans? Right? Are you with me? Does that like ting? the little notification bell just go off in your head? So debt belongs to a deceased person for sure, or that person's estate. If someone has enough assets to cover their debts, the creditors get paid and beneficiaries receive whatever remains. So if your mom's already died and your dad dies and he's got $62,000 of debt, 
they take a look at his estate and figure out how much can they get. But if there's not enough assets to satisfy debts, creditors lose out. Um, family members do not become responsible for debt, as some people worry they may. So, a uh, beautiful young person, your mom and dad are running up credit card debt, you're probably not going to be on the hook. Now, why is it not more straightforward than that? Why did he say you're probably not going to be on the hook? It's the type of debt that you have, where you live, and the value of your estate that you know gets things complex. There's a lot of ways that things can get messy in this scenario, as you can imagine. You know, if your only asset is a home after people that other people live in, that asset must be used to satisfy debts, whether it's the mortgage that you know or the credit card debt, meaning the people who live there may have to take over the mortgage. So if you're living in mom and dad's house and mom and dad die, uh, that mortgage is you gotta start covering it. So any accounts with co signers or co applicants can be also result in, you know, debt falling on someone else's shoulder. So be careful taking out, you know, debt for your parents. So a lot of ways to say, I don't want to burden my family. Do you want to burden your family? I don't. One way to make sure debt doesn't make a mess of your estate is to stay out of it, you know, obviously. Um, Write a will and consider a trust if you own property. Uh, Those are all very, very important things to do. Now, I talked a little bit about marriage. I talked death and marriage. We really can't avoid these topics, can we? So marriage is turning into a situation that I love to bring into stories. In large part, um, what you get is a snapshot into millennials. Who's getting married now? It's you know millennials. Or who's not getting married now? In this case, once again, it is millennials. Um, It's important because when you get married, you go, oh, we should get a house. You tend not to say, let's live in this one-bedroom apartment with four roommates. You get to the point where you're like, honey, wouldn't it be nice if we'd wake up and make love on the kitchen floor? And she goes, no, that's disgusting. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. I do that. I was just checking to see if you saw that. You're not into it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not into it. But are you into it? Um, <clears throat> so young Americans are saying no to marriage at this point in time. Um, and that's going to be interesting to see what the ramifications are. The National Center for Family and Marriage Research, which I can't believe that we actually need a National Center for Family and Marriage Research. I'd imagine we have like a National Center of Cancer and a National Center of getting us off this friggin' frantic planet before it blows up. Uh, but the way young Americans today are living compared to 40 years ago, 30 years ago, is pretty dramatic. Um, you know, baby boomers back in 1980, about 65% were married between the ages of 25 and 34. Now, millennials in 2015, only about 40%. Baby boomers back in 1980, about 10%, 12% were divorced or separated. Millennials in 2015, only about 8%. Never married, millennials tops that list now at almost 52%, whereas baby boomers are, back in 1980, 
worry about 20%. Um, so two-thirds of 25 to 34-year-olds are were already married in 1980. One in eight had already been married and divorced. In 2015, just two in five millennials, not two-thirds, just two in five, had been married and only about 7% divorced. That's a pretty big diff- trend, right? Now, obviously, when you get married, like I said, you go out and spend money, buy a house, you make babies, babies are expensive, you're spending all that money that goes to your local tax authorities. Corporations win. Winning. Winning. Uh, so it's important to note. So, um, the trends. So, millennials aren't lazy, they just don't believe in marriage as much as others. Maybe as much as their parents want them to. That's the way we're saying that. So finally, I want to talk about housing. By a lot of measures, the housing market seems in good shape. If you look at home prices and uh, demand, uh, the National Association of Realtors, last week they said that contracts by existing homes jumped 5.5%. So are there boom times ahead for housing? Some people don't think so. To understand why, it helps to revisit recent history. The housing bubble of the early 2000s was driven by subprime mortgages and other loose lending practices. You know, there was a huge collapse that left many potential new homeowners with inadequate credit scores, not enough money for down payment, and insufficient job security to buy a house. They also saw for the first time since the 1930s that not only did house prices fall nationwide, but they nosedived by a third. A lot of people forget. So, it's frustrating to see, but a lot of people forget. Um, with conditions shifting away from rental apartments in favor of single-family housing, the home ownership rate is unlikely to rise. It's currently at about 63.7%. We got to a high of about 68, 69%. Um, and now people are saying, eh, I'll pass. Don't need to own a home. Wow, things have changed. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. I hear the train a coming, it's rolling around a bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps her rolling on down to San Antonio. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Back in the early 90s, I lived in Washington, D.C., and... Me and my girlfriend were looking for something to do, and we saw that at the local 9.30 club, Johnny Cash was playing. I was like, we should try this. So I go see Johnny Cash with a bunch of Generation Xers, young Generation Xers. Think young millennials, right? Not really knowing his catalog beyond this song. Blew me away. This is before the movie. This is long before the movie, right? So then his wife comes out, June Carter, and... She's just as good as he is. And then their daughter comes out, and she's almost better than both of them. And just the Generation X, we were just like, whoa. 
blown away because there's music and then there's legendary music. It's like when you see Prince, you're like, whoa, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen. And same thing with Johnny Cash. So anyway, Johnny Cash played in prison, and prison is the real estate theme of the, of this segment. Uh, since Donald Trump got elected, prison stocks have done very, very well. And not because he's going to end up in a prison, but because he's going to put more people in prisons. Because you'd be in jail. And the nice thing to think about with this is it's kind of like real estate, right? you got to live somewhere, and some people are going to be living in a incarceration. So the federal correctional system in the United States, everyone will tell you, is messed up, and it's not good. There's a company called Core Civic, which is the largest publicly traded prison provider. Um, since Trump has been elected, CoreCivic and Geo Group have gone through the roof. Uh, the roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. Um, prison stocks are jumping after the Justice Department reverts to a plan, you know, to uh, go towards prisons uh, that worthy of note. So CoreCivic has locked up a big share of the private prison market. They operate 65 correctional detention and juvenile facilities with a capacity of 85,000 beds. Now, when you look at hotel stocks, you look at how many beds they have. And you look at how many, you know, rooms they have in Vegas and things along those lines. Uh, the way you analyze hotels is very similar to the way you analyze prisons. Um, and again, it's offensive to your social brain. But to the re- realistic person in you, you think prisons are going to go out of business anytime soon? Probably not. So the two names that keep coming up, uh, Cor- uh, Correction Corp used to, but not as much anymore. So it's a company called Core Civic. And a company called Geo Group. So Tony Mendez, Bay Area Loan Source.com. Rob. Uh, prison's not going away anytime soon. Not anytime soon. And Johnny Cash played in a prison. Do you see the tie? I do. Too obvious? That's no, never too obvious for radio. My mother raised six kids who all went to college, and we always remind her, you know, um, good job. You got six of us to college, and none of us went to prison. And we go, but mom. There's a difference between jail and prison. So I almost got put in a I almost got put in a Turkish jail once when I was seven. Ugh. That wouldn't have been pretty. Not at all. So we lived in a penthouse in Turkey, and uh, every building there has guards, and every building has things like parking lots where they slaughter lambs and sell lamb meat door to door. But the guard at the prison play or the guard at the prison at the penthouse, the guard at the uh, building, he would often sleep in a chair slanted back against the wall. And me and my brothers were a bunch of little pieces of poo. Um, rhymes with chips. Um, we th- would put paper balloons together and uh, put water in them and water bomb them from the 12th floor. And I remember hitting that guard once, and his chair flipped over. And he comes running up the steps, screaming, just just Turkish uh, filth, vulgar after, vulgarity after vulgarity. And you can hear him like on the second floor coming up the staircase. We all hid in my mother's closet, and just we were all just deathly afraid. My mom and dad were away, by the way. Um, but had he been able to get in, he probably would have killed one of us. And uh, that's probably a, something that could have ended me up in a pri- Turkish prison. How do you think a seven-year-old Rob Black would have done in a Turkish prison? I had soft, I had soft hands then. <laughs> Not wasn't, too well. wasn't digging a lot of ditches. I'm thinking of some rhymes right now. So the prison boom. The Big House on the Prairie. The number of prisons in the U.S. swelled between 1970 and 2000 from 511 to 1,663. Wow. Um, studying prisons, it's interesting because I studied the justice system and uh, punishment. And like when you used to cut off people's head in the, the square, that would get people really upset. 
but when you started to incarcerate them, that sets up a system of a lot of blacks and Latinos going to prison, a lot of whites not going to prison. Then you start setting up, you know, let's educate, and then that starts to cost money. Let's try to reform. Let's not do prisons. Let's turn prisons into housing. Uh, very complicated issue. So, you ever been in prison? Negative. You ever kill a man just to watch him die? Negative. Do you like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find out where this is going, but uh, no, no, I've never been to prison. You like gladiator movies? I do. So I'm just going to end right there. <laughs> so um, anyway. some pretty messed up parents. Yeah, the prison population. So those are prison investments tied towards housing. And, you know, that ties into that last concept that I had, I believe, a week ago. I was talking about some people's retirement. If they don't have enough retirement, there was that one guy in Portland who walked into a a, a bank with a gun. And he fired the gun, waited for the police to show up, and basically gets cable TV, gets a prison cell, gets a gem, gets food. It was going to look better than his retirement. Um, so he actually thought that through. Like, I'll be in a white collar. He would, I mean, be careful. You don't want to be 65 years old and be in a blue collar prison. Yeah, I guess it depends on what kind of felony you, you commit. Right. So, so plan out your felonies. So I met someone from. So I met someone that I talked to ten years ago. He goes, "Oh, I used to know you when you were on CNET Radio." Yes, I was the guy on CNET Radio. Yes, I'm the guy who dressed up as the Wicked Witch on Cron TV. Yes, I'm the guy who dressed up as Velma. I'm kind um, of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. And it was kind of funny because um, he goes, "I kind of wish I would have listened to some of your investment advice from then." But he goes, "My dad, you know, he liked real estate, so I like real estate." And I met a teacher, probably the best looking teacher I've ever seen in my life. Uh, a couple of weeks ago at a teacher conference, and she said that, you know, she got $20,000 and, you know, she wants to buy real estate. I'm like, $20,000? She goes, oh, we're talking Central California. We're not talking like, you know, we're talking deep inland. And uh, so she said, my dad liked real estate and my dad's dad, granddad, liked. I said, you should probably buy real estate. And the guy that I met 10 years ago, he, he buys um, trailer parks and he's done very well buying trailer parks with the cash flowing coming from them. And I vaguely remember talking to him 10 years ago because of the trailer park real estate angle. But you can invest in prison real estate, publicly traded stocks. You can invest in trailer parks. Uh, what do you think about going after a trailer park? Um, or, or, or answer, what do you think about investing like your parents did? Because you are comfortable with that style. I, I am. Um, you know, but I learned a lot uh, when I bought my first house. Uh, a lot of things that I would have done differently. Sure. Um, I would have bought more, to be honest with you. Uh, but it wasn't like a Bay Bay Area situation. It was a, you know, one of the small town situations where, you know, $10,000 would have got you the hardwood floors and the fireplace. And those are the kind of things that I wish I I purchased. But I wish I bought more. Um, And I wish I bought more earlier as well. And my parents own a house. Best Elvis. Fat Elvis or skinny Elvis? Skinny. Yeah, big fat Elvis guy. Yeah. I like him in Hawaii in the jumpsuits. Dead on his toilet. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. You can find Tony at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Call Rob Black now, 800 
800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. So I work at a news station Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because I do a news hit Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's replayed at the evening a couple times. Um, it's it's lovely. I feel real good about it. It's good work. TV's a little bit faster than radio, so you don't get a lot of time to get into the data. You almost have to go, oh gosh, it's super expensive to have a wedding. It's $300,000 million. Now back to you, Chuck. Um, whereas with radio, you get to sit there and talk about it. But I do the show live from, obviously, TV four days a week. Then I do it live from Fremont, California, one day a week, which is where the uh, Tesla factory is. Um, why am I telling you that? Because there's a, a, I just saw a traffic update uh, on my TV station. There's a couch in the road on 880 right next to the exit that I usually get off. And I don't know what it is about the East Bay. The Bay Area's got the peninsula. It's got the North Bay. It's got San Francisco. It's got the South Bay. Um, it's got the East Bay and the East Bay, man. If they sh- we just build graphics and TV like couches and uh, motorcycles because it's always a motorcycle that's down or a couch in the roadway. Anyway, save money on your wedding day. If the average wedding costs $35,329, try to get it done in your world for $20,000. Um... Go big on the honeymoon, go small on other areas, be realistic. I don't believe people should invite more than 20 people to a wedding, maybe 30. But you don't understand, I have a large family that's been waiting for this. I go, okay. What you could do is have a nice party the next day or uh, a week before or a week after, maybe when you get back from your honeymoon. So starting your marriage off in debt by having too many people there, it's just a bad idea. Um... I have credit cards and I use them and I love them. And uh, the points really start to add up if you have the right cards. So I think it can be smart to use a credit card for wedding related purchases as long as you're not taking on more debt than you can afford. Um, getting that 2% or 3% back is pretty awesome. Uh, consider a winter wedding. Winter weddings or win- wedding dates. Winter wedding winter dates. Uh, wedding dates aren't all created equal. And if you go for areas that don't have as much demand, you'll get more do re me. And you may even get lucky and get a nice warm day, per se. Um, book a Sunday. Saturday is the most popular day for weddings. Uh, it's generally the most expensive day to get married. You can likely reserve your venue at a much lower price if you wait till Sunday or a weeknight. I know you're saying, but Rob, it's my wedding. Um, put a twist on the plus one etiquette. Instead of giving all guests that plus one, limit them to couples you socialize with regularly. Uh, to avoid awkward questions, explain you know how you're determining the list. So there's a thousand and one million ways to save money. Um, if you're looking for a dress, you know I, I'm not going to say I, I live real close to Palo Alto, and uh, it's fair to say that the, the thrift store or the I'm not going to say pawn shop, because that's not quite what I'm trying to say. Uh, the Goodwill has some pretty good stuff. And uh, I have no shame in that. So if I'm close to uh, Palo Alto or San Carlos and their Goodwill, 
you go and you can find like a winter jacket, ten bucks that would normally cost you you know one hundred forty, hundred fifty, uh, barely used. So the national average spent on a wedding dress is fifteen hundred and sixty four dollars. So you can pick up a white dress in a prom section of any department store and start you know, tinkering with some substitutions. Consider negotiating. I think that's always a good idea. Lots of unexpected expenses prop up during planning, including cake cutting and corkage fees, um, you know, power cords for your DJ and the photo booth. If your venue has them, try to use the resources like linens and tables instead of having someone cart those in for you. So those are just some you know, basic ideas. You can find me online at uh, robblackshow.com. It's robblackshow.com. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. He's a certified financial planner. Let's welcome in certified financial planner Chad Burton. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And he is a certified financial planner, which is different than a stockbroker, which is different than... Um, you know, an investment advisor, it's different than a certified retirement specialist, which is a made up title. The only title I care about is a CFP. Let's talk withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Let's talk pulling money out, withdrawal methods. Um, if you don't want to make a baby, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about pulling money out of <laughs> retirement. Um, you you got this nest egg. What's the concept that we need to know on how to pull money out so that the rate, we don't burn too much too fast? Well, the first idea is getting an, knowing whether or not you're, you're withdrawing too much. Right. If you're 50 years old and you're having to draw 4% of your portfolio to live and you think you can stay retired, you can't. You have potentially 50 years worth of inflation. So if you're drawing $50,000 a year now, in 18 to 20 years, you're going to have to live, draw $100,000 a year to live. And with muted returns in the, in the bond side, with very low income on bonds, you're going to run into problems. So, you know, 65, if you can draw 4% of your portfolio to live, you're going to be okay. More than that, you're going to run into some problems, which means that means that you're not going to be able to keep up with inflation. How realistic is it that I never touch my principal and I just live off my dividends? If you can retire at 65 and, and comfortably have, you know, 2% of your portfolio to live, and then that starts the draw rate, so eventually you're going to have, you know, be pulling you know, all of your income. Yeah. So if you're only pulling two or three percent, that means a majority of your returns can be reinvested for future inflation. Um, and in the past, you could just, if you were that type of a wealthy person, you could just turn around and put all your money in treasuries. Now that's not the case. Treasuries are at a, a historical low in terms of yield. How, and so there's almost more risk there than having a mix of stocks and bonds. How often do you recommend people search for higher yield, knowing that they're going to compromise on credit quality and or compromise on uh, equity smoothness or, uh, what am I trying to say, principal uh, risk? Well, what you look at is credit spreads. Okay. So the times where you're going to look at compromising or taking a little bit more risk and going for that higher yield, and an example of this is you look in March of 2009 where all bonds were thrown out with the stock market. I mean, the bond market got crushed for a short period of time. And the spreads between AAA-rated debt and government debt versus high-yield debt was at an all-time high. And within a year or two, you had you know 15 to 30% rates of return on high-yield bond funds. Um, so when the credit spreads between high-quality bonds and high-yield bonds is at a historical high or higher than the 10-year average, 
that's when you move money into those categories. The problem is right now that I think a lot of people are moving into way too much into preferred stocks with financial companies. Um, they're moving into uh, high dividend paying stocks that are directly tied to interest rates. And they're searching for that yield to replace bonds and replacing it with very volatile assets. How about protection from inflation? Mm-hmm. You can truly never protect yourself from inflation, even with Treasury inflation protected securities, because different types of inflations occur. You know, tips only protect you against consumer inflation, sort of. Yeah, it's kind of the CPIU. CPI. Yeah. Whereas senior citizens, their inflation is more tied towards healthcare costs, which is higher than the CPI typically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, five to six percent. So can you truly protect yourself against inflation with your principal, or is that just a fantasy? In theory, okay. you can. By um, In terms of if you look at an overall bond portfolio, you typically want some corporate bonds, a mix of you know high quality and a, a mix of a little bit of high yield in there when you're retired. On the government bond side, you want basic government bonds, and those come in the forms of treasuries or TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Bonds, where the face value of the bond gets adjusted upward if there is inflation. Um and uh, Ginny Mays, for example. But then of your bond portfolio, you want a good percentage of that, too, in foreign bonds. And this is something we talk about. Because if you're earning interest rate, if you're earning interest in other currencies' bonds, or other countries' bonds, and their currency, and your dollar's falling, once you move that currency back into U.S. currency, you get that extra boost from the, the exchange rates. So by being with a good foreign bond manager, and they're focusing on countries that have an increasing currency versus the U.S. dollar... That's a, that's a hedge against inflation as well. And then investing also in things like you know energy stocks that pay a nice dividend. That's another way to do it. So in theory, you can. But we're, we're, we're coming into a time, Rob, where 10 years ago, nobody was investing in commodities. Right. And the correlation was almost negative to the stock market. So you know if stocks were down, typically commodities would be up, kind of like with bonds. Now, everything... Real estate used to be that way as well. Now, both real estate and commodities have gone closer to a correlation with the stock market. So really, to really hedge against the bad times, you still need that three years' worth of expenses and cash in retirement. Any final thoughts on taking capital gains as an investment strategy as far mm-hmm. as pulling down your uh, principal? Yeah, because what you have to do when you, uh, you know, five years prior to retirement, you need to look forward and say, how much am I going to have to draw from my portfolio every year? So here's my expenses. Maybe it's 100000 a year and you're getting fifty from Social Security and your pensions. You're going to have to draw fifty from your portfolio. That means you're going to have 150000 in cash. And that's where you're going to spend your money from. You're going to send your dividends and interest from your, your portfolio to your checking account, and you're going to spend some of your cash. And every quarter, you look at your portfolio. If you have an up quarter, you peel off enough of those gains uh, to replenish the cash. Does that mean you pay taxes? Yes. But would you rather pay taxes on gains or watch your gains disappear? We're talking withdrawal from your lump sum, from your pension, from your retirement plan, from your nest egg. I'm speaking with certified financial planner Chad Burton for more information about how to draw down your account. Find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW. On the iHeart Radio app. Dollar in a jukebox for a midnight song. When your lover is gone, it's clouding your eyes.
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. So Panera, Panera Bread, you've been in it. Pan is Spanish for the word bread. Era means age or time. So it's like the age of bread. A lot of companies have funny names. Um, Pepsi, their name was originally Brad's Drink. That's kind of cool, right? I'd like to have one. Hey, give me a Rob's Drink. And it was a mix of sugar, water, caramel, lemon oil, and nutmeg. Pepsi is derived from the word dyspepsia, which helps aid indigestion. And uh, you're like, whoa. Um, I don't know. I like little things like that on occasion. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, Tony Mendez from com is here with me. Hi, Rob. One of the statistics that comes out that I talk about is consumer confidence. And if you see consumer confidence go higher, I say <clears throat> you and your wife might go, hey, I feel good about my job and everything's going great. And let's go on vacation. And uh-oh, Tony forgets birth control. And Tony makes a baby. And Tony adds to the economy. Um, all because people are feeling confident. And sometimes when people aren't feeling confident, they still do the same thing because what they th- they hear is, I hear the economy is getting tough, so I'm going to, I'm worried about my neighbor. Um, so they're worried about their neighbor, and that's consumer confidence goes down. And the final one is when consumer confidence actually hits them where they lose their job and they're unemployed for a long period of time, and they get depressed and they don't spend. Um, does consumer confidence play any role in your world where you feel like people are, uh, if they're confident, they're ready to buy? And if they hear anything about uh oh Donald Trump, I don't know I don't know what his presidency is going to be like. So I'm going to sit on the sidelines. Um, where the confidence is, we don't know. Well, I think the confidence plays out in real estate in general. I think somebody will have more confidence to spend two or three thousand dollars or more uh, renting a place because they they may have a good job or they may feel more confident that they can save money and buy a house. Um, but I think everybody always has a – people who don't own a house always want to buy a house. Um, I think it does, I think the market in, it, in itself will generate the interest in real estate, whether or not there's consumer confidence. Uh, interest rates definitely help. Um, having that job definitely helps. Watching the stock market go up and watching your Apple stock or your Facebook sure. stock go up gives you a little bit more confidence to put that down payment. So I, it does trickle down into real estate, but I don't think most people that I know and I deal with uh, are not making uh, uh, purchases because they feel confident about the economy. It's, it's more of a a necessity. Um, you know, I, I like I told you, I'm working with a couple right now that they're 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 not even a couple; they're just a uh, boyfriend girlfriend. I think engaged is really more of a couple, uh, but they're buying a house and. That translates to me that they want to get married and they want to start a family, and they're also confident. So I guess it depends on which way you're looking at it. I, to answer your question, I think yes, it does. 
Good. But in, not, not in a direct way. So here's a question that I get a lot of times. What do you think about reverse mortgages? Do you remember a couple years ago, and I only asked reverse mortgages because a couple years ago, there was a big push on Rex loans. And then you didn't hear about Rex loans. And Rex loans was basically if I bought a house, they I can split the future profits with them and guarantee some downside. Yeah, they go in title and they they own a certain percentage of the the upside. Um, I'm kind of glad those went away. They're still there, but um, I'm glad they're not being marketed like they were. Right, reverse mortgages are um, heavily um, celebrities are marketing these um, and. The, the one thing about reverse mortgages is, um, well, first of all, you have to live in the house. You have to be 62 or more to qualify. Um, and you could only, and they've actually limited the amount of equity that you can actually access. So if your loan is too high, there's a lot of cases where you can't borrow any money or, or do the reverse mortgage. Um, and the rates are, are pretty decent, but the costs are pretty high. I think a lot of people don't realize that the cost for a reverse mortgage can be very expensive, and a lot of people are preying on these because FHA has not changed their their guidelines on this. Um, so there's a lot of brokers out there looking for ways that to make money that have been taken away from on the conventional loans. Uh, they, they've been hit pretty hard. A lot of brokers are saying, all right, I can't make as much money here. Let's go to reverse mortgages. So they're heavily marketed. Um, I would only go in one if you have a financial advisor um, consulting with you. Condone it, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, I've got someone in the uh, family that his goal is to get into a retirement community because he's starting to get to that age, pushing 80, that he wants to get rid of one home. Do they call it a, a purchase reverse mortgage? Yeah. It's, it's like a, a reverse reverse mortgage. In this case, he got cash out and it's ready to be spent if needed. Um, but he keeps looking at houses in this retirement community and they keep going for $50,000 more bought with cash. And he's like, oh. So, gotta be very careful. So, very pricey products. 800 516 1220 to get your calls in the air. You can call Tony Mendez, is The easiest way to find him is bayarealonesource.com. He does my mortgages. He's a good guy. Um, he's someone you can trust. Uh, and you can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. It's a load of Friday, no work till Monday. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.